You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss data released by the Outdoor Recreation Satellite Account within the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which measures the outdoor recreation economy. We define the scope of the measurement, discuss how these numbers can be used to describe the economic contributions of outdoor recreation, and identify additional ways to measure the total economic impact of an outdoor recreation activity. Let's get into it. So recently, I uh, took my mountain bike. My It's an old school Juliana, right? And um, Oh, cool. I think I bought that. I think I bought her in about 2006. I love this bike. I mean, I had I, I actually did race on this bike back back when I was really legit and, you know, and not just making it up. But I had a had an Eagle GTX drivetrain sitting on my workbench mm-hmm. for like three years, maybe longer, maybe more like four years. And I, you know, I just decided, why don't I just ha- go ahead and have that put on to the Juliana as an upgrade? The trailer's gonna gonna hang a little bit low, you know, but Hopefully, I'm I'm going to avoid hitting things with it. I mean, it's never been a huge problem to begin with, so I think I'll be okay. It is amazing! Oh my god, oh. I'm I'm so stoked to ride again. It, it like made it. It, it made a huge difference. It was like getting a new bike. It really was. Half of it was that they actually cleaned the bike when they worked on it. You know, the the years of of layers of mud on it are gone. Yeah, yeah. but it yeah just. The idea of just refreshing something, you know, and that was a pretty big refresh. I mean, that's a drivetrain. That's a big deal. And I had to do some things because, you know, it was running Shimano and now it's running SRAM. So, but it was, it was, it was really interesting to me to just to get that energy to go out and, and, and start actually riding trail again. Um, because I've been so, I've been so hooked on the electric bike and mm-hmm. getting out and taking that out for about an hour and riding a million miles, you know, at warp speed. Um, yeah, which is awesome. And I will not stop doing that. Or, you know, for instance, we all know about my exploits on my 35 mile per hour electric longboard. <laughs> I, is that how bought. fast it goes? Oh, that thing is fast as shit. That's, it's that's it's ridiculous. Like every time I get on it, I, I have to be really intentional and think this, you know, this could be this could be it. This could be it's it would be super easy to make a mistake or, you know, not even a mistake. Lots of things can happen. You could, you know, your wheel could get caught in a crack. It's that yeah. simple. So yeah, um, these it it was getting the mountain bike back gave me that same sort of energy to go out and ride trail again, and I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Although you know, I, th- as soon as the snow comes, it'll be like hey, goodbye mountain bike for the season. <laughs> <laughs> Hello yeah. skis and snowboards, and I mean nobody nobody can see on a podcast, but you know you can see the little collection of little things I've got. Mm-hmm. behind me, you know, including the yeah. longboard. And one thing that I, that I sort of have a weird relationship with snowshoeing, those crescent moon oh, yeah. e- okay. full Evo foam snowshoes. It's mm-hmm. like wearing a hoka on snow. It's so really? fun. And so, yeah. How neat. It's a lot to look forward to. I mean, it's a, the outdoor, the outdoor world is a big giant world. There's so many things you can do. Yeah. What a great transition, a lot to look forward to. So I know we've all been looking forward to the new estimates from the Bureau of Economic Analysis. It's going to be our seamless transition there. <laughs> into, um, <laughs> Let's talk about consumer in, spending. Let me tell yeah. you about the things I've bought, and now let me tell you how big our industry is. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the Bureau of Economic Analysis has a satellite account that measures outdoor recreation and the contributions of the industry to the gross domestic product in the U.S. And they just released probably two or three weeks ago now when this podcast airs their estimates for the 2021 numbers. So what would you see, Kelly? (laughs) 862 billion. That's what I saw. It, it's, yeah. yeah, I saw a lot of growth. I mean, in terms of gross output, it was 21.7% growth over over 2020, which was great. Um, you know, I, I tended to look at the conventional activities instead of the mm-hmm. other and supporting activities, which include, you know, festivals and concerts. And and then when you get the supporting, it's all the restaurants and tourism, lodging, travel, you know, all the things that go into having an outdoor experience. It's it's you know the the level of growth in 2021 made me maybe breathe a little easier because we said about the same thing in our participation numbers in terms of growth yeah. and I was pretty I was pretty happy to see the spending come back to outdoor and yes a lot of that is supported by other which is the concerts and the festivals and you know the those sort of large um, crowded outdoor activities that almost everybody does. But, you know, it's it's nice to see growth and it's nice to see healthy, robust growth. And and I was looking at it, comparing it to uh, 2019. And yeah, it it does follow a line of 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 growth, like a reliable trend of growth in the yeah. outdoor economy. And to say that we represent 1.9 percent of the total GDP means that our our industry is as big as some of the more traditional industries that have a lot of power over policy and have a yeah. lot of have a lot of backing for their efforts at advocacy for policy that'll help us all enjoy the outdoors more. So seeing that number grow that much and explaining 2% of the GDP is no small potatoes. That is just amazing that to to think about the the size and strength of this industry. I really liked in 2017, the OIA did the outdoor rec economy report and it framed the economic contributions of the outdoor industry against some of those more traditional industries in a way that really helped all of you know, those of us in the industry understand how we stacked up against folks that, yeah, like you said, do have really big cohorts in D.C. They have a lot of pull. They um, they have political power. We can do that, too. With two yeah. percent of GDP is a big deal. It really is. And considering that we've got 54 percent of the of Americans ages six and over participating in outdoor also just just buttresses the the astounding size and and relevancy of the outdoor industry yeah so so we kept saying gdp for our listeners let's go into like how we actually define that what that term means and how the bea is measuring it yeah well i could read you a definition do you have the definition handy of gross domestic product which is no. basic, it's basically total spending and yeah. gross domestic product is a value add metric which which means that it's it's you're looking at the cost the the actual uh, price minus the cost of of production. Um, so th- there are certain things that that doesn't include. Like you're not you're not counting the value of intermediate goods like like components and things like that, which mm-hmm. is important to outdoor because there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of things that, that go into making an outdoor product. I mean, think about all the components for bikes that that basically don't get counted because they're not they're not manufactured domestically and that's why we talk about gross output which is all of that that's intermediate inputs that's total total spending on all things outdoor um, do you want to add to gross domestic domestic product i want to add some value i don't know about you <laughs> add some value i like it yeah um just the, the 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 way that it's measured for the purpose of this research is that 
the BEA is really only interested in the goods produced within the U.S. And yeah, as a result, we're excluding imports. And so I know there are some folks who see this number and then they'll see other numbers that might estimate the total size of the retail market and not understand the disconnect there. But it's just based on kind of the how they frame up the sample. You know, it, it's um, domestic versus all retail sales. Right. And let's talk about macroeconomic analysis for a moment. Macroeconomic analysis is designed to measure all of the direct and indirect impacts of, of a particular industry or a particular category. I mean, I've run macroeconomic analysis on a number of different industries in a number of different categories. But the idea is to measure not only direct spending, but look at indirect spending. So they're, they're using math right? To project spending when when somebody travels, when somebody stays in a mm-hmm. hotel, when somebody spends, um, you know, a night at a four-star restaurant because they're in the midst of an outdoor experience. And all of, the, all of those things count. And that's why outdoor festivals count. That's why, you know, all the things that, that are considered supporting or other are counted. And additionally, you know, there are different ways to look at what what creates what and we call those multipliers, right? So BEA really has sort of a standard set of multipliers. For instance, if you create one manufacturing job, the multipliers indicate that five more jobs are created down the line. And mm-hmm. that might be that might be um, anything from a cafe owner to to somebody that that is uh, cleaning up your hotel room. But it creates five more jobs once you create that job. So in addition to everything else, the reason it's macro is because they use these formulas to sort of project all of that spending over the entire industry. And OIA did start this this process and lobbied to get the the BEA to take it over, which does a couple of things. It helps legitimize the the measurement, especially Mm -hmm. when you're stacking it up to other industries and and looking at how big other industries are. But I mean, honestly, macroeconomic analysis is is it's still a social science. I mean it's it is math and it and it is and it is um you know, I, I'm not sure. I think they used a static model. You can use a static model or a dynamic model. An example mm-hmm. of a static model would be Implan, which I do believe they used in this case, or a dynamic model like Remy, where you can look forward three years, five years. I mean, Implan, a snapshot is just this is what it looked like at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. So, that, I mean, there are a lot of different ways you can go. And honestly, you know, trying to wrap your head around macroeconomic analysis and getting to the a level of granularity of understanding is sort of like trying to understand spooky movement at a distance in physics. That's like, okay, I think yeah. I've got it. Um, but in a, in many ways, it's it's a little, you know, there are weights, there are a lot, there's a lot of Bayesian analysis that you're weighting things and, and making a lot of assumptions. But yeah, overall, it's a very reliable way to understand how large the industry is and understand how big categories are. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, they actually ranked the top conventional categories. I believe snow sports came in fifth this year. Which which is a little bit of a of a trend down for them, but it's it's very interesting to look at the impact by category, and it's very interesting to look at impact by state. And we um, help broadcast this data to the state um, OREX, the outdoor recreation offices at the state level that are part of the the confluence and part of the SOBAN. So we're working to make sure that that states understand what outdoor is doing in their state. I mean, look at Hawaii this year. Hawaii, yeah. I think something like 4.8%, I might be wrong, that's off that's the top it. of my head, 4.8% of their GDP was explained by outdoor. And I, you know, I'm that made me happy. You know, I'm a graduate of the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Thank you. Go rainbows. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, it's, it, I mean, it's just about everything you do in Hawaii is outdoors. But yeah. um, it's always, it's always good to see that. 
and how it affects a state level economy. Because really, a lot of the policy that that we're working on um, to make sure that that you know we're building for for the, in a way that encourages outdoor activity, especially bike, especially mm-hmm. just walking. Um, this helps this helps states dose their resources too. I mean, if you know that fi- almost five percent of your GDP is directly related to outdoor, then you're probably likely to invest in that. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Some of the other states that ranked pretty highly were Montana, Wyoming, and in Utah too. Right. Um, I Idaho, think Maine, Maine. Maine made it up. Yeah. Yeah, Maine's three point six percent. Florida three point three. I mean, those are huge numbers. They are. They are, and I think it, there's there's probably. A little bit of of misunderstanding, a little bit of bias when you see a, a percentage like two percent, because you think, yeah, two percent. I drink two percent milk. Two <laughs> percent's <laughs> not that much, and it really, it really is. It's an astoundingly large um, proportion of the GDP compared to what other industries produce. Your neighbors in DC were only at zero point nine, but even then, just to your point, like one percent. Let's call it one percent is a pretty major contributor. It definitely is. That actually for DC, you know, DC, the the secret of DC, there's a lot of green space in DC. I mean, we yeah. might want to think about measuring who hit that's where the measurement I'm like, come on, because we should include this and this and this and this. Um, and we we technically only include outdoor, like traditional outdoor activities, other yeah. than unless there it's an other or supporting, but like going and hanging out at a park doesn't count, which kind of sucks. Let's talk about just understanding the size of the industry, but a lot of a lot of the way this is used is to understand policy and to affect policy. Uh, given the size of our industry, that gives us a lot a lot of of relevance. Really, mm-hmm. um, we've got we've got a very powerful cons- constituency, yeah. and you know, if we want to enact policies, you know, including things like things that that have been passed recently, you know, in in or were tried to that Biden tried to pass and build back better. I mean, that that gives us a really a lot of it gives our, us a lot of voice in that policymaking process. And, you know, just thinking about that at the federal level is one thing is that, that you know, we can lobby on behalf of outdoor and we, and we do have, you know, those numbers behind us. And that makes us a very significant voice in, yeah. in you know, developing policy and, and also in a push to pass policy that's good for outdoor. But it, where it really counts is at the local level where we're trying to build communities that encourage outdoor activity. And I always bring up Bentonville because I'm obsessed with Bentonville. But just the idea that's okay. We all are. I love it. Just the idea that if if this is sort of the rise of the creative class kind of an argument where, you know, what we're seeing in communities that have a lot of of outdoor access and encourage outdoor access, like in Bentonville, um, we're seeing economic dividends being paid in those communities. And, And just being able to show that through through the BEA report gives us a lot of efficacy at the state and local level in policy. Well, what, do you, um, what is? Let me ask you this, Patrick. Yeah. Because right, because you get you get stuck in the role of being the questioner in this, and I'm just going to flip it. What sure. does this mean? What does this mean for bike? I mean, you. I know that people for bikes is is tireless in efforts to expand access to to safe places to ride, whether yeah. it's urban, suburban, or rural. So, talk about how this could help you at people yeah, for bikes. It, it, 
You know, I think um, it, it's really hard to have a conversation about trying to expand expand resources for bikes, expand trails and protected bike lanes and all these facilities just on like an altruistic sort of basis. Like we we love bikes, bikes are good, bikes are healthy, et cetera, et cetera. But if we can go to our state legislature, if we can go to Capitol Hill and we can say, look, the bikes bring dollars and, and it's real industry that we're supporting here. So let's have a conversation. We're talking apples to apples. Let's, let's have a conversation about the economic impact that cycling has. And I think that it justifies spending some money on infrastructure for transportation and for recreation facilities. Without that, you, you end up sort of losing to some of those industries that do have hard numbers that that have um, more readily available measures of economic contributions. The U.S. was built largely to facilitate transportation via automobile and not via bicycle. And so to, to sort of be the underdog here, you have to come to the table with real facts and real numbers. And although we think of the BEA numbers as maybe not the whole picture of how bicycling contributes to the U.S. economy. It's certainly a really important part of that picture. There's other measures. You know, I, I often uh, go back to the 2017, or was it 2018, economic data from OIA. 17. The outdoor 17, yeah. yeah. Um, that, was a, that was the last one we did with Southwick. Yeah, I actually worked with Southwick on that. I should have known what, what year it was. <laughs> that was my, um, I, I worked with them until 2019, but that, you know, bringing into the conversation how many jobs and how much uh, tax revenue is generated by an outdoor activity, the um, salaries and wages that are paid to American employees as a result of that. When I think of <clears throat> how cycling or any other industry might contribute to the U.S. economy, that's sort of how I tend to communicate it. And these numbers, the BEA numbers, don't get us the whole way there, but that GDP value is certainly really important. Yeah, I mean, look, 4.5 million jobs. We, yeah. we grew by 400,000 jobs between 2020 and 2021, according to this report. That's it. That's pretty powerful. Oh, that's, for sure. That's it. That's it. And by the way, that we make up 3% of total compensation, 3%, which is, a, that's also amazing to me. That's, yeah. that's a, that's even bigger than 1.9% contribution to the GDP. You know, jobs are critically important to, to policymakers because, oh, for, you know, yeah. when, when people, when people have jobs, when people are able to support themselves, you know, your community is just healthier. So I, I do like, I do like the jobs numbers, tax revenue generation. I think is it's, it's not as critical in this case, but it's, it's still something to mention when you're talking to a policymaker, like, listen, you know, mm -hmm. we're bringing a lot of money into this community a lot. And if you've got outdoor amenities, you know, you're actually bringing people in that spend throughout your community. And that becomes very obvious in the numbers. But as you said, it's not the end of the story. I mean, we have to triangulate. We have to understand how many people are actually uh, participating in the market, right? And that's yeah. why we do participation. So that, I mean, that gives me my 54%, 164.2 million participants. And it's it's always nice to see whether or not trends in in various methodologies are are moving in the same direction. I mean, you don't want to see something that indicates that the that all of your other data about a trend is is possibly wrong. Although that happens yeah. all the time. I mean, you know, I, it's I a see, social science. You said that earlier. It's yes. a social science, not a hard science. Wow, this stuff is squishy. <laughs> but 
But it, you know, when I when I look at at participation numbers in various categories, there's some mm-hmm. categories that that have declined, and yet, and yet, the economic impact of of their participation has actually increased. Um, and I see that in, in areas interesting like, like snow sports, for example. Um, mm-hmm. We've we've got a decline in participation, but an increase in in overall revenue from the snow sports industry. And there are a lot of ways that you can explain that. But one of the things that that you get when you start triangulating these numbers and looking at them as a as as sort of a group of of indicators is you yeah. start to you start to see the pattern you start to really ask it's not necessarily about knowing all the things it's about asking the right questions at that point I love to, that. to really understand what's going on in the industry. As you know, I'm a huge proponent of this. And if somebody asks me about triangulation, I'm going to start talking to them about sextants, which <laughs> to some people is, you know, they might mistake that and think that's going to be really interesting. <laughs> but the idea yeah. is that, you know, you're you're using different data, different data sources, specifically independent mm-hmm. data sources to to try and and understand what your position is in the market or what the what yeah. the overall view of the market looks like from a lot of different vantage points. I mean, things just don't look the same from every vantage point. And so you want to get a good look so that you can, you can at least describe the mean of those vantage points and, yeah. and, and then start asking specific questions. I agree. You know, what, what is going on here that we're, you know, we've got fewer participants and yet more money. I love that social science 101 you just took us on. Thank yeah. There, there's no one data source. that's going to tell us everything we need to know. There's a bunch of smaller data sources that are going to tell us interesting little tidbits of information that we're going to have to try and stitch together to find where in between all those observations, the truth lies. Yeah. And, and I'll, you know, I, I commit the crime of, of including too much data in one sentence in a, on a fairly frequent oh, basis. Oh, man, about that. Yeah. All right. Where yeah. I can say 1.9%, 4.5 million jobs, huh? 862 billion in revenue and also 54% of the population. I mean, you just, and it, it sort of gets to a point where we've gotten so used to the data that we've got to be careful not to make it into gibberish for people that <laughs> live in data every day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That is a, that is a killer mustache. No one can see him, but Patrick is sporting a killer mustache. Thank today. you, thank you. It almost broke off yesterday when I was snowboarding, and I was freezing to death on top of the mountain. But <laughs> it's sort of, could uh, you feel the icicles like on tiny your little mustache icicles? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it was a cold, windy, snowy day yesterday, but it was a good day snowboarding. Well. Um, it's a- a bad day snowboarding is better than the best day I can have not snowboarding. So. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so, yeah, you mentioned snow sports uh, ranking in the conventional outdoor rec activities. It's actually sixth. So I'm going to read off the top six. Okay. Boating slash fishing, mm-hmm. RVing, these two sports that are supported by the use of motorized, I guess we could call them vehicles, right? Yeah, is it, is vehicle. a boat a motorized vehicle? Yes. Boating, fishing, RVing, then hunting, shooting, trapping motorcycling and ATVing, equestrian, and then snow sports. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of money in, in horses, from what I understand. There's a lot of money in horses, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, hunting, shooting, trapping is an interesting one. That's um, greater than motorcycling and ATVing, which is another powered activity. Um, mm-hmm. But we see that they had a greater contribution to GDP. I wonder why that might be. Well, we'll have to go back and, and look through the numbers. But my guess is that a, they've got some pretty high multipliers because they are manufacturing quite a bit in the U.S., number yeah. one. Um, number two, there are a whole lot of them. Number three, when they go hunting, it's it's a whole it's a whole trip. It's a whole experience. The hunting season is a very special time of year. I mean, holy crap, Patrick, you know, around here, um, mm-hmm. on, coming on Friday, 
right? It's two weeks of, of, and they actually give the kids, they get in Pennsylvania, kids get days off for hunting. <laughs> I, I am well, not kidding. No. I shit you not. <laughs> it's because right they can't street. hunt on Sunday, right? Isn't that still the case in Pennsylvania? Yeah, you can't hunt yeah. on Sunday. Not, not a, supposed to hunt on Sunday, but, but they do give kids a day off school. It is a whole thing. I mean, everybody basically takes those two weeks off that nobody expects them to work. No. And, mm. and it's, you know, everybody's out deer hunting or, yeah. you know, they, and they work together. So if, even if you're not the shooter, you're yeah. probably going back and you're probably, you're probably um, on the flanks of some line that's going, Hey deer, yeah. Hey deer. So that your buddy can shoot the deer. So, and when I think about hunting and when I think about fishing, think about all the vehicles involved, all of them. Think about all the money involved in making the things that the gear that you need to, to mm-hmm. adequately participate in hunting and fishing. And then think of all the people that are out doing it and how they're experiencing that, and how much money they spend on that experience. It's huge. That doesn't surprise yeah. me one bit. Interesting. Equestrian wasn't one that I expected either, but I haven't looked at these activity numbers in a while. Yeah. Equestrian was sort of surprising to me, but people spend a lot of money on horses, man. There's a lot of money in that. A lot. A lot of money. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, horse country in Virginia is <laughs> proximal. Let's put it that way. And and yeah, um, it's some of those operations are pretty amazing. And I mean, I love horses. I'm a I'm a huge fan. I I can't really afford to participate fully in equestrian. I just I you know I'd feel like once you have a horse. I mean, I would, I would spend my last dollar taking care of it. <laughs> I would. Yeah. I mean, I would colic. I'd spend $20,000 on the surgery without blinking an eye. I mean, all of those things I, and 500 months, 500 a month for a stall and feed and tack and, mm. and walking and things like that. I just, that's yeah. a lot. That's a, that's a lot. I mean, well, and keep all... in mind, I mean, I've done this in, in general aviation and I'm like, yeah, I yeah, don't know yeah. about all that. I've thought about buying a plane, but a horse. <laughs> So well, hey, I that's think- how all those line items are adding into the uh, the GDP. That's how we got to this conversation was spending on those activities and how it contributes to the economy. Yeah, it's that's an expensive activity. It is, and but the, again, I mean, this reminds me of and it's probably not so politically expedient thing to remember uh, about George W. Bush after 9-11 when he said, you know, if you if you really want to be patriotic, go out and spend, go oh, spend. Yeah. Because spending makes the economy healthy. And by the way, go into debt because that helps too. And you know, do all those things and, you know, buy a house and do do the things that you need to do. Yeah, that's what I'm talking <laughs> maybe, about. Spend, baby. Maybe we save that for another episode. I, I think the <laughs> Fed might disagree with you right now, but um, well, they're trying, a, I love they're, your energy. Listen, they're raising interest rates in, in to slow the economy, which mm-hmm. means you know, yeah, they're trying to, it, it's like chemotherapy. You got to hurt it. You got to hurt it a little to heal it. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, a good economist is going to tell you that, you know, unemployment needs to go up a bit and wage, mm-hmm. wage growth needs to slow in order for us to, uh, to get out of this. And yeah, they blame the workers, which it's like, it's your fault for asking for so many raises. <laughs> yeah. You know, Maybe maybe this is a market correction that was that was necessary. I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm willing to pay a little bit more for an, for a good to know that the person that that produced that good is is you know able to live is is not basically a you know just just trying to get by and have yeah. a couple of jobs. Well, but hey, that's, just, that's, that's gonna just be. Me. Yeah, that's going to be our uh, next episode then. We're going to talk about reshoring and um, producing products for the outdoor rec economy or for the outdoor rec industries here in the U.S. So maybe we leave that cliffhanger. Let's do it. Are people willing to spend more? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. We'll answer it next week. (laughs) 
It's been All a right. pleasure, Patrick. As Let's always. Sign off. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.